Marley was dead to begin with. Now many of us will recognize that from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. His opening line states a fact upon which the rest of the story will build. It's profound in its simplicity, in its ability to draw the reader in, to prepare the reader to hear what comes next. Marley was dead to begin with. It just kind of pops. And we come to our text today, there is in a sense the same sense of capture, of intrigue, of this is important as we read the following from Genesis 36, 6, Genesis 39, 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It sets the stage, it invites us in to pay attention to what will follow. You know, it's sometimes hard to pull up images of Bible characters in our minds. Just what it's, at least accurate ones. I mean, is there anyone else that has trouble not seeing a flannel graph picture when you think of the life of Joseph? Um, well, let's today, let's try to be less cartoonish with, with Joseph. Think Hollywood hunk. Think magazine ad model. Right? The difference between Joseph and, and a model, though, is significant. I doubt Joseph spent a lot of time considering just what he looked like in his appearance. He was, after all, a shepherd. And not a lot of folk in the pasture to care about his, his appearance. Certainly not his half-brothers. Certainly not the sheep. But Joseph was handsome. And he hadn't fallen far from the parental tree. He was handsome. His mother was beautiful. Genesis 29, 17, it said, Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now these are the only two, these two are the only ones in Scripture to receive such double acclaim. There are many, a son in the world, who are thankful that their mom's genes were stronger than their dad's when it comes to looks. And Joseph had his mom to thank. Now, as we saw last week, as Andrew opened up the word, our young Joseph had been sold into slavery and became a steward of Pharaoh's captain of the bodyguard. So let's start our time together by looking at Genesis 39. And we'll get a running start by picking it up at verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and became his personal servant, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about that from that time he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned, in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. 
Now, many of us are familiar with the professional social media site LinkedIn. It's kind of the Facebook for professionals. It's good for networking, job hunting, or just a place to brag. It's kind of become the I love me wall, right? Remember when we were all in offices, we had all the diplomas and everything behind us, all the plaques, all the certifications, the I love me wall? Well, now that's moved onto the internet. But in all my reviewing of LinkedIn profiles, I've not seen one that included, along with the degrees and accomplishments, I am handsome in form and appearance. <laughs> now, many have thought that, I'm sure, just not bold enough to post it. But now Joseph in our text is not saying this of himself, but the author of Genesis wants us to know that along with Joseph's many talents, he was easy on the eyes. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And this attribute is not missed by Potiphar's wife. In today's text, we'll see six predicaments of which Joseph finds himself and Joseph successfully navigates them by being mindful of his situation and mindful of his God. We're going to see Joseph as the object. Verse 7, it came about after these events, and i.e. these events are that Joseph was put in charge, right? After that, that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. The ESV says, cast her eyes on. New King James says, cast longing eyes on. Legacy Standard said, set her eyes on. And literally, it says, she lifted up her eyes at. Ah, the eyes. How expressive, how communicative they can be. Now, this could be in a good way. Song of Solomon Four, verse 9, Solomon says, You have made my heart beat faster, my sister, my bride. You have made my heart beat faster with a single glance of your eyes. Or they can communicate in a bad way regarding the adulterous woman. Proverbs 6 says in verse 25, Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. That word capture to grasp, to seize, as in spoil of war. You know, it's one thing to meet eyes with someone of the opposite sex. It's quite another if that, that lock takes place, that look takes place a second time, a third time. You are inviting capture if the intent of the other is to ensnare. And in Joseph's case, there was no mistaken her intent to capture. For she said to him, lie with me. Now, if we thought that a societal propensity towards casual sex was just a product of our more modern times, we can let our text dissuade us of that. Andrew shared with us regarding the land of Egypt and their Egyptian idolatry into which Joseph had been sold. But it seems that idolatry wasn't all Egypt had to offer. John Lang in his commentary says, The ancients describe Egypt as the home of unchastity and speak of the great prevalence of marriage infidelity, as well as their great sensuality generally. And what would this situation have looked like if Joseph was less than honorable? Kent Hughes writes, 
What an insidious temptation. Joseph was 17 or 18 years old. His hormones were at full force. Couple that with sexual curiosity. No one would ever know. His family certainly would never find out. They were on the other side of the Sinai. Moreover, Joseph was a slave. His life was not his own. Sexual promiscuity was a daily part of all slaveholding households. He could enhance his career. This is a time-honored political strategy. What's so wrong with a little strategic adultery if it furthers the cause? And face it, old Potiphar was gone all the time and was not meeting his wife's needs. She was entitled to a little caring affection. This would certainly be the loving thing to do. In, in today's terms, this situation demanded this ethic. Even more, who could blame him? It was in his blood. What he's referring to is his brothers. Reuben, with his father's concubine, Bilhah. And his brother Judah, with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Andrew uh, Schmutzer says this, such powerful, reasonable, rationalizations. Add to this the fact that Joseph knew the dysfunction of, a fam- of the father's favorite, the scorn of ten brothers' hatred, the betrayal of being sold for profit by those responsible for him, the disdain of a slave's life as chattel, and the dissolution of transplantation to foreign soil and culture. With this as his bio, Joseph had every reason to be angry, bitter, resentful, cynical, fearful, self-serving, and self-pitying. Joseph had every human reason to find fleeting solace in an illicit embrace. And Joseph accepted her offer. No. Just checking. No. Her short proposal was met with a long, thoughtful refusal. Joseph the Defender Kurt Strassner says, those who are under the favor of God are expected to demonstrate faithfulness to God. And Joseph does demonstrate faithfulness. Verse 8, but he refused and said to his master's wife, behold with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So what is Joseph doing here? Well, he's vulnerable as a slave, and he's trying to appeal to her reason. He's trying to awaken her conscience. John Lang says, he places the proposed sin in every possible light. That it would be a disgraceful abuse of the confidence reposed in him by his master. It would be an outrage upon his rights as a husband, It would be adultery and a great crime in the sight of the Almighty. See, Joseph understood God's omniscience. Joseph states, How then could I I do this great evil and sin against God? For though perhaps nobody else would know there is one from whom nothing is unknown and Joseph knew it. Even though Potiphar may never know, the God whom Joseph worshipped and feared would know. 
And though not written till much later, Proverbs 5.20 says this, For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. Also Psalm 147, verse 5, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. And yet another verse, Psalm 139, 1-4, through 4, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Are we still not convinced? Psalm 44:20. If we had forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. Solomon's dedication of the temple, 1 Kings 8.39. Solomon says, Then here in heaven your dwelling place, and forgive and act and render to each according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. And before fill in the place of Judas among the disciples. Acts 1.24 And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these you have chosen. So are we convinced? Why so many verses, Rod? Well, if we are convinced, then why do you and why do I carry on in our daily affairs and particularly our sins as if we're not convinced that God knows, God sees? Joseph was convinced and it helped him resist. Not only did Joseph understand God's omniscience, he also understood God's view of sin. Now some have asked, now how did Joseph, who lived before Moses, receiving of the law, would know about prohibition against adultery? But you didn't have to have the Ten Commandments to know. Joseph would have been familiar with his great-grandfather Abraham's sin. Genesis 20, 1 through 3. Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he journeyed in Gerar. Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, went and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Also, regarding Isaac, Genesis 26, verse 1, Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. 
For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and will give your descendants all these lands, and be your descendants, and by your descendants all the names and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And why? Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Yes, they were familiar with God's statutes and laws even before the giving of the Ten Commandments. Another reason we know that the logs and these prohibitions existed before Moses and Mount Sinai is that the Bible refers to sins many times before Moses. Genesis 4, 6 and 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do, do, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. Also, Genesis thirteen thirteen. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly, and sinners against the Lord. In Genesis 18.20, And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. What Joseph knew in part, we know in spades. We have the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20.14, You shall not commit adultery. And to make sure we don't miss it, the Tenth Commandment in verse 17, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. But back to Joseph. Joseph was convinced, and his mindset allowed him to resist against an incredible temptation. And his defense was working. We're going to see Joseph the resister. Verse 10 of our text. And she spoke to Joseph day after day. He did not listen to her to lie beside her. Now that's good counsel. But how did Joseph not listen? It's not that he didn't hear. He did hear. He didn't listen. So how do we not listen to the call to the appeal to our lust? And these appeals are prevalent, whether subtle, as in billboards, clickbait on the internet, even commercials, halftime shows, right? Subtle or more overt. And in the category that you can't make this stuff up, as I was preparing this section uh, this week, I got a text. Hi, is this Kevin? No Kevin here. Oh, I'm so sorry. This is an embarrassing misunderstanding. I hope I didn't disturb you. No worries. Thank you for understanding. You're a friendly person. May I know your name? Sorry. No. <laughs> and silly me, I thought that would be the end of the conversation. But here it came. I'm Nicole. 35 years old. This is a perfect misunderstanding. I hope to make friends with such a friendly person as you. Block. <laughs> but her 
last text was even accompanied by her picture, fortunately clothed. But if I had to venture a guess, if I'd have taken that another round or two, there's no telling where I'd have found myself, right? So what is the key to navigate in such a world as ours? It's to not listen. The key is to redirect the receptors. You can't simply just turn them off. You can't go toe-to-toe with sin and temptation. Regarding sensuality, you have to put off and put on. Ephesians 4.22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside, or as the ESV says, you put off the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Romans 12.2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And this renewing is a continual thing. 1 Peter 1.14 As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, Be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So let me ask, how holy is holy? Seriously. How holy is holy? How many drops of poison does it take to poison a gallon of milk? Now, we won't get there in perfection, this side of of glorification, but that should be our direction. See, no one drifts towards holiness. And we tend to play games with holiness. It isn't how many drops poison the milk, but we ask how many drops can we tolerate without getting too toxic. We move toward holiness by loving Christ by hating the sins for which Christ suffered so greatly on our behalf, in our place. It's dying to self and living for Christ. Colossians 3, 1. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality. Stop there. The Greek word is porneia. We don't have to guess what English word comes from that. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside. Yes, Joseph did not listen to her, nor neither should we. 
But not only did he not listen, he worked very hard not to be with her. Verse 10, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now, as a slave, Joseph had little say-so over where he was to be and when, but he worked hard not to be with her. Now, Potiphar trusted Joseph to be alone with his wife. And it isn't that Joseph, it isn't Joseph that's the problem in this picture. But just because we can be alone with somebody, can be trusted, doesn't mean we should be alone. Can it be said of us that those we love and those who love us are not concerned when we're alone with others? Not concerned when we're alone on the internet? Kurt Strassner says, Joseph could be trusted, but notice that even though he was trustworthy, he went an extra mile in fleeing temptation. Day after day, Potiphar's wife would put on her perfume, bat her eyelashes, urge Joseph to give in to her seduction. But day after day, Joseph would refuse to listen to her, to lie beside her, or even to be with her. There is the practical key to Joseph's sexual purity. He refused even to be with her. He took great pains to make sure they were never alone. He goes on to say, isn't this a stark contrast with what we saw in Joseph's brother Judah in chapter 38? Judah walked right up to the seductress. Joseph avoided her altogether. What about you? Do you take great pains to not be alone with a member of the opposite sex? This is the only sure way to avoid temptation and false accusation. This could be called the Mike Pence strategy. You might recall back in 2017 when that became national news. Uh, a national conversation started after a Washington Post profile of his wife that highlighted how close and loving her marriage was to the vice president. And it included this line, Mike Pence told The Hill that he never eats alone with a woman other than with his wife. Now that's good counsel. Even before, years ago, even before this, Lee and I made such a rule to, uh, for me not to be alone with, with, a, um, with a woman. And in, in professional, it's not easy to pull that off. And there are, you know, so it's not, it's not a, a, you know, thus says the Lord, Lord rule, but it, it is a good rule. And, and if it couldn't happen for whatever reason, Leah would know about it before it happened, right? So it's, it's really hard to pull something, to be stupid, right? If you just told your wife you're not going to be, right? And so um, it's not a, it, it's a good rule and it, it, it's helped us along the way. Um, now many a man could save many a heartache just by being more deliberate and defensive guarding against being alone with a woman. But just because we can be trusted alone doesn't mean we should be. Um, and Joseph worked very hard here to not be alone with Potiphar's wife. And it worked, and it worked, and it worked until it didn't. Brings us to Joseph the Entrapped. As a slave again, his strategy of not being alone could only be maintained so long with limited freedom. And so there came a day when they were alone. In verse 11 points this out, that one particular day, it didn't work out. It says, now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. 
she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And that brings us to Joseph the escapee. Verse 12, and he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. In spite of Joseph's intent, his efforts, now he had to take drastic measures to get out of a bad situation. And that's a good example for us. Fleeing is biblical. Fleeing is a command. 2 Timothy 2.22 Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 1 Corinthians 6.18 Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. You know, it's never too late to flee until it is too late to flee. You know, sinful relationships have steps, right? And so anytime you come to your senses, flee. It's never too late to flee until it's too late. Don't worry about hurting feelings or what others will think. When your house is on fire, get out. Don't be thinking about how you're going to explain the fire to the insurance adjuster. Now, in piloting, there's a hesitancy to say that you've gotten yourself in trouble. Pilots are a prideful lot. Yes, we are. Right? But you need to declare the emergency when you're in a bind, land safely, and then explain to the FAA why you did what you did. Yes, some, some bad decisions can be salvaged for a safe landing, but I've been at many a wreckage sites where pride led to disaster and death. Get out, explain later. Be like Joseph and flee. Brings us to Joseph the accused. Verse 13 says, When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside. Sometimes there's nothing that you can do about what others are going to say about us. It's defamation, right, when they say untruths about you. Defamation comes in two forms. You've got slander, which is the spoken side, right? Put your S's together. Slander, spoken. Libel is when it's written out. That's your legal trivia for the day. All right? But she saw that he had left his garment in her hand. And using our sanctified imaginations, what do we have here? We have a woman who is scorned again. We also have one that's perhaps in an embarrassing situation. How to explain why she has Joseph's coat. So embarrassed to be holding a coat that she took, feeling the rejection and futility of trying to successfully seduce Joseph, her embarrassment quickly turns to anger. And anger into revenge. And thus she, in verse 14, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to, to us to make sport of us. He came in to, to me to lie with me, and I screamed. Yes, scorned sinners are vindictive. And scorned sinners can be liars. 
Verse 15, when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and he fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to them. Then she spoke to him with these words, the Hebrew slave whom you brought to us, right? This vindictiveness leads to blame shifting. Basically saying to her, Husband, this, this is really your fault. And you don't have to be a scorn sinner to do this. It's a common default position of sinners and goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis three eleven, And God said, Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the tree the fruit from the tree and I ate. And here, she says, The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us Came in, to make, came in to me to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment outside, left his garment beside me and fled outside. So that brings us to the end of our, our, our text. And we've seen Joseph tempted and trapped, falsely accused, yet with his integrity before God intact. His example is a good one for us. But what do we do when we haven't been so successful? Maybe we haven't been in a physical adulterous relationship. Or maybe we have. But as followers of a holy God, a God who says lust equals adultery, anger equals murder, against such perfection, we are not blameless. What do we do? There is hope and forgiveness at the cross. God had David's grievous sin preserved for us in Scripture. And it preserved the forgiveness that he found. Psalm 51, verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. For you do not delight in sacrifice. This is at verse 16. Otherwise, I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Yes, David the adulterer, David the murderer to cover his adultery. This David found forgiveness before God. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from
from all unrighteousness. So what can we take away? We need to be like Joseph in, in a number of ways. One is to have a heart that loves God and loves His ways. In Genesis 39, 9, Joseph said, How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? And we have the example of Job. Job 31, 1. Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Now he made a covenant. That's a contract. It's an agreement. And agreements have terms. Agreements have details. John Piper counsels against an open-ended covenant. Like, you know, I'm not going to sin for the rest of my life in this area. Right? That, that's too open-ended. And, he, you know, he says such an open-ended covenant leaves wiggle room for the hormones. And he even get, got very specific on a podcast I was listening to where he was talking about you know, making a, a short covenant, right? It says, like, for the next four weeks, I will not open up the ladies' magazine advertisements that contain swimsuits or lingerie that come to the house, right? That's a covenant, specific detail, and it leaves little wiggle room. So we should be more thoughtful about how to be holy before God with our eyes because our eyes are like magnets, and they are pulled towards objects and then set upon them securely. We also need to be careful where we go. Pat Niemers in his book, Retractions, talks about a, a phrase that he coined and, and I like. It says, paths lead to places. He was counseling a friend who was caught up in sexual sin against his wife and his family. The man confessed, I, I just ended up in, in a gay bar. And... and Pat said to him, you didn't just end up there. You had to drive there. You had to take the path that led to the bar. In fact, you had to think about driving there before you got in the car to drive there. You know, every path has a trailhead where it begins. And I'd encourage us all to do a word search in the Proverbs for the word path. It's filled. Uh, Proverbs is filled. Proverbs 1.15, My son, do not walk in the way with sinners, Keep your feet from their path. So whether your path trailhead is a physical one or an electronic one, consider your paths. Stay on the positive path, the path toward holiness. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Proverbs four eighteen. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Also like Joseph, we need to know that the Lord knows. Proverbs 5.21, For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and He watches all His paths. Now this is a terrifying thing if we're in the wrong and in sin. This is a very comforting thing, right, if we're seeking to please the Lord in what we're doing. 
And like Joseph, knowing God knows is a huge help to help us in this fight. Also like Joseph, we need to be ready to flee. When entrapped, get out. Worry about the explanations later. Declare the emergency. Land safely with your integrity before God intact. Now usually we wrap up our our time together um, being encouraged. And I think we are today. Sobered but, but encouraged. But I'd like to to end with this warning. Regarding the adulteress, Proverbs warns, Proverbs 6.27, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? You know, I started the lesson with the attention-grabbing statement, Marley was dead to begin with. Well, it turns out that might be a good place to, to end as well. As we walk through life, remember, paths lead to places. Whether she or, or he is clothed, semi-clothed, not clothed, whether in, in presence, whether electronic, know your path and consider the outcome that such a path may take. God loves and God warns. Let us leave today with this warning from Proverbs ringing in our ears. Proverbs 7.21 With her many persuasions, persuasions she entices him. With her flattering lips she seduces him. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare so he does not know that it will cost him his life. You know, Joseph was successful in navigating the challenge he faced. May we be like Joseph and successfully navigate life by being mindful of our situations and mindful of our God. Heavenly Father, May we not take lightly what you take seriously. And Father, we just are sobered, humbled. Father, we we see the call to holiness and, and just confess that we are not. And Father, I pray that we would deal with our own sins before you and and seek the forgiveness that you grant. Father, we thank you for the example of David. Father, when, when confronted, was so broken. And he's a man after your own heart, not because of his sin, but because of his repentance. Father, there is hope for us too. We thank you for that. Father, we have... Potiphar's wives everywhere in this society in every means a click away Father we live in a perilous times that requires boldness and courage and thoughtfulness and seeking you Father may these lessons that Joseph shows us Father Be helpful to us in seeking to please you, to honor you. 
We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.